Well, I thought we were fixing to go a little longer with that up there this morning, but nobody, nobody would have complained or disappointed. Thank you, Lord. Do you remember what Eli told little Samuel? When Samuel didn't understand who was talking to him in the middle of the night, and Eli, the older priest, said to that little boy, the next time you hear that voice, you, you say this, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Lord, I believe we're listening. I believe you're, you're getting our attention And we want to hear what you want to say to us this day. Would you put that in your own words, just back to the Lord? Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the God of hope fill you up with all joy and peace and believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you up with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I feel like we need to spend a few minutes this morning on the subject of the God of hope. The God of hope. Would you open your copy of the Bible, your copy of Scripture, to the first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis? The name Genesis, the word Genesis, basically means beginnings. It's the book of how things all began. And let me read down through a portion of this first chapter. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning, a second day. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place. And let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit after their kind, with seed in them 
on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind, and God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, a third day. Skip over to verse 24. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Who was that that did that? I want you to turn in your copy of the Scripture and find the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, New Testament, John chapter 1. Now, I'm going to go ahead and start reading because I've got my Bible marked, okay? I've already got some paper clips in here, so if I get to going too fast, you may just want to Write the reference down and come back to it later and just listen to the reading of the word. This is John 1, 1. In the beginning, in the Genesis, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He, the word, was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Leave John. Keep going to the right to the book of Colossians. Verse 13, 13. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And verse 15. And he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation, for by him, by Jesus, by means of Jesus, through the agency of Jesus, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. And he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him, Jesus, all things hold together. Leave Colossians, keep turning to the right, and go to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, 
in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the world. And he, Jesus, is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Christian, brother or sister in Jesus, child of God through your faith in Jesus, please let it in. Please open your heart to this truth. Jesus Christ did not just die on the cross to be your Savior. Jesus Christ was in the universe at the beginning of everything when there was nothing to see, nothing to stand on, nothing that gave light, no fruit trees bearing fruit, no grass growing, no animals in the field. He, your Savior, according to the Bible in your lap, He, Jesus, is the creator, the creator of everything that we can see. He is not just a philosopher. He is not just a prophet. He is not just a social revolutionary. He is God, the very God, the creator of all things who lives in your heart through his spirit. He is the God of hope. He stepped out into the darkness, the emptiness of a vacant universe, and he spoke the words, let there be, and the lights came on, and the sea parted from the dry ground, and the earth began to sprout. He created men and women. It is Jesus. It is Jesus. You talk about a God of hope, the God who has to who does not have to have anything in order to make everything. And that power has not been lost. That has not, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the scripture says. If he took nothing and turned it into something way back then, he can take nothing in your life and turn it into something when you need it. Make no doubt about that. Leave no doubt about that. The hand of the God of hope. The power of the God of hope. Let that in. You read, you read, Christian, read Genesis in the light of John chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 1. It gives us the understanding of who that was speaking into nothing and everything happened. It was Jesus. It was Jesus. It was Jesus. It was Jesus. The Christ of all creation is the Christ who has sent forth his spirit into your heart to fill you with joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go back to the book of Exodus. Genesis, Exodus. What kind of heart does he have? What kind of heart does this God of all creation Moses, in the presence of the Lord in Exodus 34, verse 5, on Mount Sinai, and the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him, stood there with Moses as Moses called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed. The Lord proclaimed, said these things about himself. This was not Moses talking. This was the Lord speaking. And here's what he said, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. That word for truth can also be translated faithfulness, loyalty, abounding in loving kindness and loyalty, faithfulness, truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands who forgives iniquity, transgressions, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. John the Baptist saw Jesus of Nazareth 
Nazareth coming toward the Jordan River, and he spoke. He, he declared it as he saw Jesus coming. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The only way for the guilt that can be passed from generation to generation to be removed, for it to be removed, is through what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, that it is through the shedding of blood that there's the covering of sins. That's why Jesus came, this, this Jesus who was the creator. When Christ, the mighty maker, died for man, the creature's sin, the old hymn says, the, the, the one who created everything, who's responsible for the existence of everything, looked and saw you and me coming down the road and knew that there would be things that we would commit, things that we would do that would violate his heart. Sin would be etched across our soul. And the only way that we could be forgiven of the sin would be for there to be blood shed. And he saw you coming, and he saw me coming, and he loved you at a distance. He knew you in that sense, and he took upon himself the responsibility to take your sins and my sins, the specific stuff that we've done that would break the heart of a pure and holy and, and just God, and he clothed himself in our sins. And though he physically was naked as they hang him, hung him on the cross, he was clothed, he was drenched in your sin and my sin. And as they nailed him to the cross and his blood came forth, every spot of that blood was washing away the sins of the human race who would put their faith and their trust in him. When Christ, the mighty maker, died for man, the creature's sin. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. So that the heart of the Savior, the heart of the Lord, the heart of the God of hope is all of these things, all of these adjectives that describe him, compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Well, you move on over to the book of Deuteronomy and you find another expression of his heart, this God of hope and what his heart desires for men and women to experience who would walk with him. We read this a fair amount. I want to read it again this morning. And I, I just, you know, I can just think about Deuteronomy 28 and want to reach in and get my handkerchief and just pop that thing. It is, there's, such, there's such blessing and joy in life and revelation of the Father's heart of how specifically he loves, how great he wants to bless how deeply he is aware of our needs and our interests and our desires. Listen to this, Deuteronomy 28. Now it shall be, if you will diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments, which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you will obey the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the offspring of your body and the produce of your ground and the offspring of your beasts and the increase of your herd and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall, be, shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They will come out against you one way, and, you shall, and they shall flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing upon you in your barns and in all that you put your hand to, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself. As he swore to you, you will if you will keep his commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. So all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are, you are called by the name of the Lord, and they will be afraid of you. They will respect you. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity. And the offspring of your body and the offspring of your beast and the produce of your ground in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open for you the good storehouse, the, bro the heavens, to give rain for your land in its season, and to bless all the work of your hand. And you shall lend to many nations, and you shall not borrow. And the Lord shall make you the head and not the tail. And you only shall be above, and you shall not be underneath. If you will listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I charge you today, 
to observe them carefully and do not turn turn aside from any of the words which I command you today to the right or to the left to go after other gods to serve them. That, folks, the heart of the one who looked out into nothing and said, let there be, here, says, here he says, is the way that my power to bless, to prosper my people can be harnessed for their lives. And he said, oh, pastor, you sound like you're getting a little healthy, wealthy there. I, I'm not going down that direction because you, you've, got to, you've got to understand what, what it means to be blessed of the Lord, what that means, what it means to, to, for his prosperity to be a bonus. You, you, you can, as we've said, you can have houses in all the states. You can have every kind of vehicle. You, you, you can have all sorts of money in the bank and your soul, your heart still be empty, still be at war. Can't, can't keep a marriage can't, can't have kids loving you, can't have people who respect you, but you got all the stuff. That is not prosperity. That is not the blessing of the Lord. But when the Lord blesses somebody, he satisfies them. He causes them to know deep within their heart that they are loved by him, that they are cherished by him, that they are receiving expressions of his goodness, not necessarily because they deserve it, but because he loves them. And he knows how to thrill us. He knows how to thrill you. He knows how to satisfy you. And I'm in the land in which the Lord, it may be one-tenth of an acre. Somebody next door to you may own 10,000 acres. You own one-tenth of an acre. But you walk out there and you have your, your, your folding chair and you sit down under your one mesquite tree. Looking out at one, your one little old, little old puddle of water. But to you, it's a tank. To you, it's got fish in it. To you, it's the most incredible thing. And you've got Bob White quail walking across, and you've got rabbits running around, and you've got doves in your tree, and you sit there with your hand across your stomach, and you are satisfied, and you are blessed. Lord, you can't do me anymore. You can't give me anymore. I am so full. I am. That's what it means for the blessing of the Lord. And look, here, here's what he's saying. If my people will honor me, I will bless them. If they will honor me, I will honor them. If they'll keep my words, do what is in my heart for them to do. My heart, listen, no matter what the other neighboring countries are doing, this was not contingent upon the well-behaved civilization throughout the world in order for the blessings of the Lord to rest on his people. He can bless who he chooses to bless, and nobody can stop him. He can bring it when he wants to bring it. He, he doesn't have an office on Wall Street. He's not monitoring what's going on up there. He created the dirt that the Wall Street buildings are built on. He doesn't need that. And you don't need that either. But what we do need is that relationship, that friendship with the God of hope whose heart is to protect, his heart is to bless, his heart is to prosper but to prosper in a way that you will know your soul is full and your heart is satisfied and it has come to be that the joy of the Lord is your strength. All right, so all of these practical ways, everywhere you go, he wants there to be the knowledge in your heart of his blessing, of his favor upon you. That your heart is satisfied, that your heart is full, that there are reasons to rejoice, and you understand that those, those blessings are coming from him. Well, but what happens along the way if somewhere we, we mess up along the way? What happens along the way if somewhere we, we, our finances get broken? Because he's merciful, because he's the God of hope, he provides the way to fix broken finances. And that, that the blessings listed in Deuteronomy 28 were going to be upon the people as they followed the instructions of the Lord and they honored him as they were instructed to with the first of their produce, with the first of their income. But as time went on, they forgot about that. They didn't realize how important that was. So the Lord, in a place where there, were, there had been the blessings withheld, he says, here's the God of hope speaking. Here's the God of hope speaking into broken finances. Bring the whole tithe, 
the first 10% into my storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Do you hear the God of hope say it? My heart is to bless your socks off. My heart is to bless the fire out of you. However you want to put that in our colloquial terms. My heart is to bless you. But the reason I can't bless you anymore financially is because you forget how important it is my role is in your income making. That if you don't have me involved, you don't have the primary source of everything that you're doing. And I'm not saying giving to me 90. I'm saying honor me with the first 10%. And then you watch what I will do. I will fix your broken finances, but it starts with you honoring me. And he says, he goes on to say, you know, test me on this. If I'll not open for you the windows of heaven, this is agricultural. They, they had to have water, had to have rain, and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. I'll fill up what you have, and it'll overflow. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it may so that it may not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land instead of a drought-riddled land, instead of a diminished land. <laughs> Folks around you will see what the Lord is doing, how he is blessing you, and they'll call you a delightful land, says the Lord. All right? So that's his heart, God of hope, God of hope. Fixing broken finances. But what if it's a broken life? What if it's a broken life? Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord, verse 6. Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For his heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven... And do not return there without watering the earth and making it bear and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be, which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire. In other words, he's saying that my ability to express compassion, the God of hope's ability to forgive, to extend mercy, so far exceeds human ability to extend compassion and show grace and mercy, that it's not even a worthy comparison. He's saying, here's the truth too, that what I'm saying to you, let the person who's a long way off return to me, and it will be a truth for them that they will see that my word is absolutely accurate. It is, it is foundational. It is solid. They can anchor them, their lives to it, that I will receive them. And I will abundantly pardon them. Folks, if, if, the, if the enemy through whatever means has convinced you that God is just basically mad, that he just basically is disgusted with the human race and he's disgusted with you, then the odds are very great that there won't be any returning to him. But if this is accepted as the truth, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord, for he, the Lord, will have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. That's the God of hope. That's his heart. That's who he is. So somebody who's listening, somebody's watching just from the edge this morning, and you don't even know how you got to this site or this streaming service, I'll tell you why you got there. It's because the compassionate God who loves you is on your trail. Not, not to whip you, not, not to punish you, but for you to be able to know what it feels like to be forgiven and for compassion to be expressed on your life. The God of hope, the God of hope, the God of hope for broken finances, the God of hope for a broken life, the God of hope for a broken nation. Find Second Chronicles 
2 Chronicles chapter 7. And I want to read down through some of these verses, starting in verse 12. 2 Chronicles 7, verse 12. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence, disease among my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Now my eyes shall be open and my ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. Look, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. My eyes and my heart will be there. Well, well, what's to become of us now? Because the temple in Jerusalem is gone. It's been destroyed. We don't know where the Ark of the Covenant went. The New Testament teaches us, Paul writes, Christ in you is your hope of glory. He would write in another place, you have become temples in which the Holy Spirit dwells. That which made the temple in Jerusalem so amazing was that between the wings of the cherubim, that, that lid that sat atop the, the, the Ark of the Covenant, in the gap that was right there, in the gap between the touching of the wing of the, of the angel, the, the cherubim wings, the Lord said to Moses, I will meet you between the wings of the cherubim. In other words, the glory of God's presence would fill that gap. That's why they didn't need any, any, any lamps or candles, um, lanterns inside the Holy of Holies. The most holiest, holy place on the face of the earth was lit by the light of the glory of God. That's why they didn't have to carry a candelabra in or a lamp to see. The, the high priest on the one day, the day of atonement, out of all the rest of the days, he was allowed to go in there and make sacrifice for the people. He could see what he was doing. He knew where he was. He knew where he was in the room because of the light of the glory of God in the room. Think of it. Think of what has happened. That no longer is there a temple in Jerusalem, but there has come to be because of Jesus Christ washing you, cleaning you, forgiving you, and now by his Spirit has come to live inside your chest that you are now the depository of the glory of God on the face of the earth. The glory that once was in the temple is now the glory of Christ's presence that is inside your chest. That's why Christians are so... To, you be careful what you do with your body. You, you be careful what you put into your body. You be careful what you do with your body because Paul would say, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Oh, my goodness. To understand that's his heart, that's his longing, not for it to be a building, but for him to set his eyes and for him to set his heart perpetually on you. Oh, oh, oh my goodness. Read that again. Verse 16, for now I have chosen and consecrated this house. You can put your hand on your own chest. I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. The God of hope, the God of hope, the God of hope. The God of hope. The God of hope. So from this place, in humility and in repentance, we pray. And the heart of the God of hope is to forgive, to hear our prayers, to forgive our sins, and to heal our land. The, the, the problem is not Washington. The problem is not on the media's shoulders. Jesus, through his spirit, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people will own what they're doing, where they're missing it, 
and owning fresh loyalty to me. I'll forgive their sin. And I'll hear their prayer. And I'll heal their land. Because my eyes and my heart are on them. Oh, folks, can we just let that, that, that's enough to just cause you to smile and to stomp your foot, lift your hands, and, and walk down Ritterman Road for about a mile, just overwhelmed with the favor of God upon your life, that he would call me that. I'm the temple of his spirit. He lives in me. His eyes are upon me. His heart perpetually in this place. Mm. All right, so what about as we live our lives, and there are times that come when we get weary, when we get weary. I want you to find Isaiah 40, verse 28. Is, is, is the God we serve only, only the God of ones who have full-time, non-stop, 24-year-old energy? Or does he understand what it means to grow weary and tired and to need to be refreshed, to be replenished? Listen to these words, Isaiah 40, 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, Jesus, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable without any blemish. He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired, and they will walk and not become faint. Weary. What about when we get attacked? Chapter 41, verse 9. You whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its remotest parts and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. Somebody needs to hear that phrase. I have chosen you and not rejected you. I have chosen you and not rejected you. I have chosen you and not rejected you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who are angered at you will be shamed and dishonored. Those who contend with you will be as nothing and will perish. You will seek those who quarrel with you but will not find them. Those who war with you will be as nothing and non-existent. For I am the Lord your God who upholds your right hand, who said to you, do not fear, I will help you. Do not fear, you worm Jacob. That's not much of a compliment. Worm doesn't have much intelligence, and a worm doesn't have any backbone. I just inserted that. You worm Jacob, you men of Israel, I will help you, declares the Lord. And your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. So when we're weary, so when we're attacked, when we're in deep trouble, find Isaiah 43. But now thus says the Lord, 43.1, thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they will not overflow you. 
When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you, hurt you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Your Savior, the God of hope, the God of hope, the God of hope, the God of hope. Whether we've got broken finances, whether we've got a broken life, whether we live in a broken nation, whether we find ourselves shattered by weariness, disheartened by attacks, he is still the God of hope who has said, I chose you, I've not rejected you. I am the Lord your God, I've got you by my right hand, and I will not abandon you, I will not leave you. The God of hope. Folks, you, you see, these, these statements are made without any reference whatsoever to what's going on with the rest of the world. It is as if the Lord God of glory has tunnel vision when it comes to you, his child. That all of his divine prerogatives, his omniscience, his omnipotence, his ability to replenish anything that is, that is depleted, all of that does not need a congressional vote, does not need a Supreme Court decision does not need an approval here, there. It is, if it is in his heart to do, he does it. He doesn't ask permission. He doesn't ask forgiveness. He doesn't wait for somebody to nod his head and say, please, God. He just has the ability to do what is in his heart for the ones he loves when they need it and when he knows the time is right. Who is it? Who is it who is making these promises to us? Who is it? What kind of person is this? Who, what kind of authority? Who, who is it? I want you to find the book of Philippians, and if you don't know where any other verse is in your Bible or wonderful passage, please mark this one. And I'm feel sure many of you have read this and been over this many times in your walk with the Lord. Paul is explaining why the name of Jesus has such authority, has such power. He's explaining here why when you speak the name of Jesus into the face of a demonic spirit, the demonic spirit flees. When you speak the name of Jesus over a situation, into a situation of lack, lack of understanding, lack of knowledge, lack of, lack of supply, the name of Jesus, because of the person the name represents, is the most powerful name known to man, the most powerful name ever spoken out of heaven. It is why it is the most hated name on the face of the earth from those who will not recognize and will not own the truth of who Jesus is. As we've often said, you, you, can, you can speak of all kinds of other hellish, godless names and get in no trouble. But you speak the name Jesus, and it's as if the paint comes off the wall. The atmosphere in the room changes temperature. Why? Because it is the most powerful name in the universe, and it is terrifying to darkness. It, it is the one name Satan fears more than any other name, the name Jesus. Paul explains it. Have this attitude, verse 5, in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, the position commander of the angel armies in heaven, streets of gold, gates of pearl, everybody well, no, no, no trouble, no sickness, everybody under authority. He gave that up. He gave that up. He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, clung to, but he emptied himself, divested himself of the title and of the authority that went with the title. He emptied himself. Satan didn't take it away. A vote from Congress didn't cause him to do it. He did it on his own. He emptied himself, 
taking the form of a bondservant and being found made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why was he dying on the cross? Because without the shedding of blood, there would be no covering for sin. He was hanging on the cross, bleeding in order to pay the ransom for you and me. Satan, until there was bloodshed for our sins, Satan could demand authority over us. But when Jesus Christ took our sins in his body on the tree, and his blood was poured out, and we accept by faith what Jesus did for us, Satan loses his authority. Satan no longer can own you. Satan no longer can rule you. Satan no longer can operate the future of your life. It's broken by the authority of the blood of Jesus Christ. Continue on. Therefore, verse 9, also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Whether it happens now, or whether it happens from hell, whether it happens visibly, audibly, or whether it happens in the unseen realm of demonic forces. The day is coming and darkness knows it. They have lost. They have lost. They have lost because the blood of Jesus has been spilt. They have lost because the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive and he has earned the name. He has earned the name King of kings and Lord of lords, the name that is above every other name. He is the one. He is the one who has the authority, who has the freedom to honor all of his promises because nobody can stop him. Nobody can tell him you can bless this one and you can bless this one, but you got to stay off of that one. As compassion rises in his heart for that stranded sheep, runaway sheep, hard-headed sheep, because he's king of kings, lord of all, because he has the name that's above every name, he can move according to his compassion. He can move according to his heart and his sense of timing. He's the God of hope. He's the God of hope. He's the God of hope. Do we get that? He's the God of hope. He's the God of hope. So he is the one who makes these promises, and he is the one who has the authority to carry these promises out. But what are we to him? Who are we to him? What are we to him? John 1.12 but to as many as received him, Jesus. To these he gave the right to be called the children of God. But where did that start? Where did that start? Did that just start when I started coming to church and somebody told me about Jesus and gradually my heart began to be warmed and I've been, I ended up praying to receive him as Savior and Lord? Did, did, was it really about me finding him? Or was it about him finding me? I want you to find the book of Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians. And I just want to read this and go quickly to one other section. This is Ephesians 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We hadn't seen them all yet. Some are reserved for heaven. Some of that prosperity and wealth and blessing is reserved for glory. Then he says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons, daughters, children of the king, through Jesus Christ to himself, 
according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption, the purchase price, buying our freedom through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, and according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Back up to that, those first couple of verses that, that, that we looked at. Verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Wait a minute. What does that mean? I thought I found the Lord. I thought I saw the light. I saw the light. I had to have a little help seeing the light. The truth is, this scripture says that the Lord chose you as his child before there was ever dirt that the river walk was built on that your house was built on, that this nation was built. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. And then he goes on to say, verse 5, then predestined us to adoption as sons. You you weren't a natural-born child of God. He had to adopt you. He had to adopt me. We were outside the family. But who gets adopted? There may be some in this room that would say that you'd raise your hand. I, I was adopted. I, 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 had, I had earthly parents. They were not my biological parents. But what did they do? They chose you. They picked you out. They saw something of worth and value about you that you were too young to even be able to, to, to connect the dots. But somehow, some way, even with somebody that was not biological kin to them, there was a love that rose up in their heart for you. They chose you. They picked you out. Oh, folks, all this, well, I always have known the Lord. No, you haven't. Stop saying that. I've always been a follower of God. No, you haven't. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, we can find our sinning in the church house. We can find our sinning in, in, in certain moral settings, or we can find our sinning far away from the. But the, the word stands. All have sinned, and everybody needs a Savior. And the good news about that is God so loved the world. Before the world repented, before you ever changed, before you ever cleaned up your conversation, before you ever quit cheating, before you ever quit all that other stuff, He loved you. And guess what? He'd already chosen you. And guess what? He's already set in motion to adopt you as his own. (laughs) That's who we are to him. That's who we are to him. So sometimes when it seems like the Lord Lord allows certain things that we wish he'd protect us from to come our way, and he allows it to happen, and he allows it because we're away. We, we've, we're, we're about to hurt ourselves and others. And so he doesn't have to do anything, make anything happen. He just can lift his protection. The wages of sin is death. You keep choosing something that is not right in the sight of God, and the end result is death. Something is going to die. So in order to bring us back unto himself, it's not because his, his anger is ruling, it's his compassion, his mercy is ruling. So he lifts the protection, and our life can blow up in some ways. And then we end up seeing, like that prodigal son, that youngest brother, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? I hadn't gotten away with anything. I've lost everything. So I'll go home. I'll go home. Let the wicked man forsake his way. Let the ungodly person come back home, and he will abundantly pardon. The God of hope. The God of hope. Chosen, adopted, redeemed by the work of his spirit, drawn into the embrace of the Savior's love. Right where he wants us to be. I want to end with one other passage of Scripture, and it's in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 27. 
Romans 8, 27, Paul writes, he who searches the minds and searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Look at verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. The God of hope, the God of hope, the God of hope inserts himself in this statement into any and every earthly situation. And he says, my power is great enough. My wisdom goes far enough. My commitment to you and love for you is deep enough that I will say to you, no matter what is coming your way, no matter what has happened to you, no matter what you're standing in the middle of, I am able to cause even that thing to work together for good in your life. It does not say he causes it. It does not say that he brings the hurt. But what it does say is the God of hope inserts himself into whatever the devastating circumstance might have been in your life. And the God of hope, with all power, with all authority, with all goodness, with all mercy, will say, you watch this. I will take even this worst thing. I will take even this impossible thing. I will take even this hard thing. And I will turn it and cause it to work together for good in your life. Now, that may take a while. There may be tears. There may be some distance with people and so forth. But I want you to, I want you to get the definition with me of the word all. What part of all do we, do we not understand? Here's what the word, the Greek verb or, or little pronoun for all means. It means every, every kind. It means each one. It means, it means every type. It means the whole. And we know that God causes everything, every kind of thing, each one of them every type, and he causes the whole to work together for good in the lives of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Amen. So while the rest of the world is freaking out, the rest of the world is pulling their hair out, the rest of the world is hanging on every bit, tidbit of news that comes out from hither, thither, or yon. The child of God, we're going we're gonna to cough on our elbow. We're going to wash our hands. But we are not going to lay down and die. We are going to keep our eyes on the God of hope. We're going to trust him that we've trusted him in the past. And we're going to be confident that even this situation, he will cause it to work together for good. Because I love him. And I'm called according to his purpose. Amen. Amen. Now let me keep reading. Let me keep reading. Let me keep reading. Verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son Jesus, the likeness of Jesus at work in our hearts, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, and whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, verse 32, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. We've already had the sentence of death passed on Jesus, so we can't face condemnation. Jesus took it for us. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Oh, listen. I want you to stand up. Everybody just stand up. Somebody to sleep next to you, just, just, just grab them and say, you need to stand up.
You slept long enough this morning. Look at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Verse 37. But in all these things, We overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he's saying, persecution may come, famine may come, seasons of lack and difficulty may come, but in no way does it mean that because those things come, God has stopped loving me. He's been loving me before I ever knew his name. He's been loving you before the earth's crust ever hardened. He's not going to stop right now in the middle of of our eternal presence with him and drop us and quit on us and start quit liking us and start liking somebody else better. He's faithful. He's loyal. He's strong. He can fight for you. He's able. He is the God of hope. The God of hope. God of hope. The God of hope. Now may the God of hope fill you up, fill you up with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Fill me, Jesus. Fill me, Jesus. Fill me, Jesus. Fill me, Jesus. Now I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Those of you who are watching, wherever you may be, wherever you're sitting. And I want to ask us all to just assume this posture of prayer with the palms open. It's a posture of surrender, but it is also a posture of receiving. Surrendering, but also receiving. Lord, thank you, bless you, praise your mighty name and wonderful name for the joy that we've sensed together, celebrating the truths of your word and declaring with our lips the greatness and the faithfulness and the kindness and the mercy and the hope that is in our God. We declare that Jesus is the name that is above every other name. We embrace the name. We embrace the person, Jesus, as our Savior and as our Lord. And Lord, you have said that you invite us to ask things of you so that our joy may be made full. And here comes one, Lord. with all the news we hear, with all that is being said by experts and spoken about our country and about our world, we're here this morning in the name of Jesus asking you for mercy, asking you for powerful protection, asking you to keep the sickness away, asking you to defeat the power of this virus wherever that's coming from. We declare that you created heaven and earth. We declare that every molecule has to bow their name to the person of Jesus. You have all authority. You are perfect in your goodness. You are perfect in your kindness. We are your children. We own your name. We delight to call you our Father. And we ask you, please, to have mercy on us individually to have mercy on our children, our grandchildren, the older among us, the weakened physically among us. 
We ask you for your mercy. We thank you for the example. Thank you for the word. 1 John 3, verse 2. I pray that you prosper and be in good health, John wrote, even as your soul prospers. Lord, that is our prayer, that you would cause us to prosper by your grace and be in good health by your grace even as you are causing our souls, our souls to prosper as we delight in you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.